Blog Talk Radio. Priestess and the Cauldron, a podcast featuring Elvira Love and Phoenix LaFay, two out-of-the-room-closet professional witches with over 70 years combined experience of making magic. This is a show on the LMC Radio Network. During each show, Elvira and Phoenix will help you create rituals, make spells, make potions, and much more besides. They'll spend time speaking about different goddesses from all over the world, paying attention to the ancient reverence of long-ago cultures and infusing it with a modern perspective. Elvira, Phoenix, take it away. Here we go. Uh, Here we go. I feel like, you know, (laughs) getting, it's like, we're going, and we jump on our broomsticks and take off, you know. Um, <laughs> it's been like that. Okay, so obviously we are on our a real live show that we're doing, <laughs> yeah. which just seems very funny because we've been doing a lot of pre-records um, for when we're getting away. But how are you feeling this wonderful Friday evening? Yeah, you know, I'm pretty good. Life is busy, as per usual. I think I probably say that every week. And uh, my allergies are starting to be annoying, so that's fun. <laughs> and, you know, I'm just yeah, I get that one. getting ready for, okay. yeah, I'm, I'm getting ready for a busy summer. Um, I'm trying to remember that part of the busy is a vacation and to let that be a vacation and not more busy. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's basically That's where I'm at. How about you? Oh, hey, you know, um, my vacation starts uh, a week from today, and it's going to be a nice time visiting family and, and all in Arkansas. And um, I, you know, getting ready means for me, I've got two dogs, so they get their grooming today. They, I flea bombed my house so that, you know, I do this twice a year, um, once actually in the summer and once just in the late fall, early winter, and it it keeps our population, you know, in good check. Uh, But getting prepared for that today and yesterday evening was pretty, um, I don't know, annoying and somewhat stressful and, you know, trying to get it done and then running a bunch of errands while I waited to let the spray go through its cycle and then air everything out and then I could bring the dogs in and, you know, get ready for the show after meeting my friend for, you know, a a late afternoon lunch, 
early dinner and, and come here, and I'm like, okay, I've got my information. I'm ready. My stuff is prepping for, you know, leaving. I'm getting organized. I, I pretty well have a lot of things that I've already sent back there. Um, yeah. One of my people here in, in the, the um, area I live in suggested, you know, because she was doing this for herself, she'd take it and send stuff, and I thought, this is a brilliant idea. So I sent boxes of things at wintertime and then boxes of things at summertime, and then I put them in the big, huge plastic containers and seal them up when I leave with, you know, which I found out you can use um, the uh, dryer uh, little squares, and if you put them in, it keeps the bugs away. And I thought, well, that's mm. really thing, and I've tried it a lot, and it has worked. Um, so I've got a lot of that. I just take special things, and I send off a box yeah. of paperwork that I don't want to have to carry in my, my luggage and add weight. So I've, I've kind of right. got organized. But it never ceases to amaze me that, you know, as much as I'm accustomed to it, it still gets me nervous. It still gets me anxious. It still gets me concerned, of, you know, about all the, the the things, you know. And I have people taking care of the dogs and walking them, and my roommate will, you know, take care of feeding them and, and play with them and, you know, give them attention. But, you know, it's it's very difficult, the separation. Yeah, absolutely. Like my normal time frame and then this. But, um doing my research for our subject matter got pushed a little later than I like, but it was, to <laughs> me, it kind of was <laughs> um, interesting because it brought a lot of, of, it was so, there's so many apparent overlays to things as we talk about it. I'm sure one of us, the other, will make comments about this. But it was just, I was just having this, this incredible, because I'm not, I'm not concerned that, Someone took this. It's like you know, you get plagiarized. You get upset. You you know, people steal your work um, in that way, your creative work. Um, and I think a lot of my feeling as a as a witch and a pagan is how much of the traditions have been taken over, you know, pulled out. Right. But in a way, this just I just looked at this and it's going, it doesn't really matter because. People that get into it and know it, see it. How much do we have to spend time pointing a finger at things and um, saying it was ours first, it was ours first? I mean, okay. <laughs> so, but that's my big, you know, the, the just the feel of what today's uh, subject, which is Osiris, has kind of got me thinking about and going, wow, look at this. This is really, you know, kind of got all these different things, so. I'm sure we'll yeah. get into it. So um, is there anything you want to, you know, add and then jump? I'm going to let you jump into, uh, you know, as the beginning. I, I, pu- I pummel through some of it, but I thought, shut up and let Phoenix talk. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. And I, I'm uh, drinking a cup of, of tea right now just to warn you. So, Oh, okay. Well, uh, I'm, I hear I'm, blood, I'm working I on yeah, I'm I'm working on getting rid of a headache, so I'm having a little a little tea in the late afternoon, early evening. Um, so yes, tonight we're talking about Osiris, who is um, kind of the big god of the Egyptian pantheon. Although I suppose you could argue that Ra is um, 
But, you know, that actually brings me to a point that I like to make every time we talk about deities is, um, you know, we, we refer to Egyptian myths and the Egyptian gods as if they are from one region. And, you know, if you think about the timeline and how big, how much bigger the world was back then, how much longer it took to get places, how hard it was to travel. And of course, you know, most of Egyptian mythology comes from the Nile region. Uh, Egypt's a lot bigger than just the Nile region, but um, different regions worked differently. Some gods were more predominant in certain regions than others. And there are, just like every other system on the planet, there are the old gods, the primordial forces, uh, and then something shifts and these new gods come. Uh, And there's often a sky father. In Egyptian myth, the sky father is Ra, who is the god of the sun. Uh, But Ra has a very important counterpart, who is Osiris, and he is the god of the underworld. Um, And he was one of the most popular of the deities because so much of Egyptian society uh, was spent focused on death. And I guess that might be an exaggeration. So much of society was focused on death, but you know, the, the pyramids, those are death chambers. (laughs) Those are tombs for wealthy people. Uh, And it was believed, you know, that you had to go through a, um, a series of, challenges and um, face demons and and monsters and and have your soul weighed to see if you had lived a good life in order to make it into the afterlife it was uh it was hard and there were priests that would write books of the dead and it was the map for you how your soul was supposed to make it through all of these trials and tribulations in order to get to the afterlife so it's not that, you know, everything was focused around death, but the afterlife, and especially for wealthy people, much of their time and money went to preparing for the afterlife and making sure that they could get through. And Osiris is the guard of the afterlife. He's the one that takes care of everything. So, of course, he's going to feature in a major role. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. And before he and again this is this is he was before he was the underworld god he was a you know a god of vegetation and he held yeah. he actually held two parts of the this this process of the life and then death and then rebirth process um right. in terms of that based on the cycle of how the nile flowed what happened the the crops the you know the things that were going on so the actual god became both he started in one and then his his kind of like his his story evolved into putting him into the underworld and then his son took over um which right. is kind of interesting when you kind of look at all this so um and it was it was interesting because there's there are a few different as you know we've talked about uh, regional versions of the of a deity and their story and how it modifies just a little or sometimes it can be very different and um but more universally Osiris's story is pretty consistent uh, in terms of the the overall process there may be a little variation um 
in a nuance, like, you know, the the part of when he is basically killed and what happens. Right. And, but there's not a lot. It's all kind of pretty standard. And I think, personally, a lot of it is what becomes the Osirian mysteries and how right. that story stayed consistent because it became part of a initiation and, uh, you know, spiritual religious um, teachings for those that chose to follow this as more of a a way of life as a priest or a priestess. And, um, you know, we we can go into the details of the things, but it was very fascinating to catch this. And I think much later in our show we will jump into, or we may get to it sooner, how this actually even got taken further into other spiritual and religious points of reference and, and stories. So, um, yeah, which is kind of interesting unto itself. So, um, right. let's see. Where do we want? Do you want to kind of? Because I know one of the things they said, of course, he is the the eldest child yes. of yes. Geb and Newt. And Geb, Geb. Geb. Yeah. Geb and Newt. Yeah. And I really love the birth story, actually. Then it's it's one of my favorite myths. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> goody, so, goody, goody. So in one verse... In one version, so what, again, what's interesting about the Egyptian system is you find something different than what is common in many other systems, uh, where Geb um, is the earth, and he's masculine. The earth is, is masculine, which you often mm-hmm. find in, is the feminine in other traditions. And Newt is the sky, and she is feminine. And Newt and Geb are lovers and they love each other so much and they are always pressed against each other and in one version of the story Ra becomes very jealous of their connection and he separates them so that they are always looking at each other but they can't touch Uh, and on many sarcophagus you find Newt painted on the inside as the night sky but she holds the sky but before Ra was able to separate them, Newt became pregnant. And it took her four days to birth her children. And the firstborn was Osiris, who was sort of the prodigal son. Uh, then was Isis, then was Set, and then was Nephthys. Uh, and for all of the heroic tales about Osiris and all of the beloved nature and what a wonderful and charming and handsome and skilled son he was, Set was the the other side of the coin. Set was cruel and mean and jealous and angry. And, um, you know, many Egyptian gods have animal features or animal heads. And Set is an animal that no longer exists. The imagery of him, we don't actually know what that animal is. It's sort of anteater-esque, um, but but it's, that's not exactly what it is. I find that pretty fascinating. And then Isis, who also is a you know great beloved goddess, and we've done a show on Isis, I'm pretty sure. Um, uh-huh. Isis is very much, her and Osiris are brother and sister, and they become husband and wife and sort of the big 
rulers of the time and for all of the good and power and beauty that Isis possesses, Nephthys is also the opposite side of that coin. She has all of the same beauty as, as Isis. And in fact, together, they work together a lot. They're often seen together a lot. Uh, but Nephthys ends up married to Set and she ends up having to compete with Isis and she ends up being um, the ruler of death rose, Isis is the ruler of birth, and they hold those polarities. So it's very interesting. There's there's four siblings, two couples, the, you know, quote-unquote good ones and the quote-unquote bad ones. Um, and there's a sibling, sibling rivalry built into it as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, and, of course, that is, is it because when you talk about cruel and everything, it's, he, is a, he is basically the desert. He is that which surrounds right. the Nile and the vegetated areas that have been um, enriched by the overflow of the Nile on a regular basis and, and all that. And, of course, Osiris is the, the, the fertile land, the, the, the vegeta- vegetation god that brings this, this bounty. And, you know, and then you've got that dynamic. So... I really, I found that interesting because to me, I've always thought of Seth as, you know, chaos and he was a bad guy. He was cruel. But right. when I started right. reading what the, what the area was, is his, his domain, so to speak, was the, the dry desert. And um, it is cruel. Yeah. And it is harsh. And it does yeah. cause chaos. And, you know, so it made perfect sense when you see what his point of reference is that he was the deity of and what you have, you know, Osiris. Um, and I, you know, and the fact that there are four and not whatever it is, usually there's six or seven that come out. I mean, we were just doing, um, we've done other Greek uh, deities, a lot of them actually. And there's mm-hmm. a certain, there's more. There's a lot more and they, they don't pair up like these these four do and i think that that in itself kind of shows me how um the balance of this structure of where these deities came from the the environment they they uh, ruled and what birthed them into being as to why they 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 came about is is working out the balance because you know i mean the things that you can list Osiris doing, I mean, he basically was, I think, the fourth pharaoh, um, at least that's how they describe him as the fourth pharaoh, and, of course, you know, he um, taught these civilizing of things because the Egyptians were in pretty bad shape, and, of course, so he, you know, brought in, you know, how to, to weave and music and ritual and, you know, uh, building temples and starting religions and you know, codes of, of laws. and I mean, it lists, it's, it's a long list. And you think about that, mm-hmm. and you go, wow. Then he decided, well, he got everybody in shape here, so he was going to go take off. So he took off to work with other nations. And when he came back is right. the whole thing of where he changed and, you know, what right. happened with that. And would you like to, you know, because nobody really knows what he did in his, Travels, except that he went off to do the same with other nations and help them out. But um, right, you can uh, maybe take it from there and and go with whatever suits your fancy as how you want to talk about sure. the story. Sure. Well, I guess 
uh, the next part of the tale, he comes back and set, is very jealous and angry, and he does all kinds of shenanigans to try and usurp the power and take over the rulership of, of the gods and so forth. And finally, he just re- decides, well, I'll just murder him. If I can't win in a fair fight, I'll just kill him. And uh, he does and puts him in the sarcophagus and nails it shut and and it's take he's it's thrown into the river and it's taken away and uh, and Isis and Nepnus spend months looking for him once they realize he's missing and in one version of the story that I've heard um, Osiris ends up the the sarcophagus ends up at the base of the Hulupu tree which is part of Inanna's myth from um, um, the Sumerian stories so that's an interesting potential crossover there because the timing you know there is something there about the timing of these stories from a historical perspective but eventually uh, Isis and Nephthys do find him and they revive him and they bring him back uh, and Set is just super pissed and he's like that's it I'm not gonna I'm never going to win. I have to try harder. And so he chops up Osiris. He murders him again, chops him up, and scatters his pieces all over the place. Throws a bit over here and a bit over there. And um, and his phallus sinks to the bottom of the Nile and is eaten by a fish. And so, again, Isis and Nephthys go searching for Osiris, and they gather up all of the body parts that have been scattered across Egypt and they are able to put him back together with all these body parts that they collect uh, in a cave somewhere in Egypt there she they put him back together and you know Isis has the she's the giver of life she's able to give life force with breath and with song and with wings she can she can transform into a winged creature and so she does this, but he's missing his phallus. He doesn't have a penis. So she creates one from gold. And she puts the missing member there. And he's given life for just a moment, just long enough for the two of them to be together in a carnal sense um, so that she may conceive his child that will go on to defeat Set and bring back peace to the land. Uh, and that is when Osiris becomes the lord of the underworld. He can no longer stay above ground because he has officially died now. Uh, but I, Isis was able to bring him back long enough in order to have um, Horus, who is their child, together to conceive that baby. Um, yeah. Did I miss anything there? <laughs> you did good. Um, just a couple of things that, you know, again, this is the story that is the, 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 the overriding theme, of course. And then they kind of throw in different things like, you know, he, um, set tricks him into the coffer, they call it a coffer, coffin. Right. And then they, the whole banquet knew about it. And so they all nail it shut and they put molten lead around it and they throw it off into the Nile and it floats along and sinks down and, and goes out to sea and, and ends in Phoenicia. And there's a whole story about Sarte and her husband, the king. The and it's instead of the the was it the Hulu tree the Hulubu tree Hulubu tree is it's a tamarisk yeah. tree 
and it knows that yeah. this copper is very sacred, so it, it engulfs it, and it grows around it, and so it becomes part of the trunk. And so um, the uh, king has heard this wonderful tale of this beautiful big tree, so he goes out and he looks at it and he feels, this trunk needs to be a pillar in my, in my, in my palace. It smells so good because, of course, tamarisk is, uh, has a perfumey smell. Um, so he takes it and he puts it there. Well, of course, that's where, you know, uh, Isis finds Isis and Nephthys, but Isis mm-hmm. finds him. She goes in disguise as an older woman and comes in and um, finds that she she is the nursemaid to the um, king's child, and Astarte is, of course, the mother. And so she's going to give immortality to this child. So she starts to burn away in the sacred flame the the mortality, and Astarte comes in and freaks out. And then, of course, you know, that stops that whole thing, and then... <laughs> Because they finally, when she just tells them, I am Isis, and they go, oh, my God, we've really screwed up. Um, <laughs> what, can do, what can we do to, to, to get in your good graces? And she says, I will take this pillar. And so she takes the pillar, and then she takes the coffin out, and that's when she pulls um, Osiris out. And at this point, of course, he's died, and she revives him. Um, and you were talking about birds because she, she becomes a bird, flies around over the body, and pulls all his seed up into her. Now that's, you know, one version of how she gets pregnant. And then, of course, she hides Osiris there, you know, in the the swampy delta, and that's when Set comes because because Neptis knows where it is, and and so they kind of, he chops it all up into 14 pieces, throws them all over the place, and, of course, as you said, his phallus goes into the uh, water and is eaten, by this particular fish, and that fish was considered taboo to eat for that reason. So I thought that was kind of, you know, like another way to say, don't eat that fish. Who knows? It could be even a poisonous fish, but they figured that's a good way to make it sound more aesthetically pleasing, I guess. Right. But well, I one, one of the things know. I find really interesting about a lot of the spiritual taboos, and um, actually Catherine Ironwood said this to me, we were talking about some of the taboos of Judaism, uh, and, and she said most of the Jewish laws were about cleanliness for health's sake. Like you don't eat mm-hmm. certain things because if, you, if they weren't cooked properly or if they had been left out too long, they would kill you. And that's where right. most of these taboos come from. So I think that makes sense. Like, we don't eat that fish because it's dishonoring to Osiris. By the way, if you eat that fish, you'll die. <laughs> right. And I pretty well think yeah. that was that was a good way to keep people in line. I mean, you're going to go, oh, my God, no, we won't touch that, you know. Mm-hmm. And, of course, they, they live longer. But um, it, was, it was interesting because, again, you know, that, becomes he takes over but he creates chaos and all the rest of it and of course magically um i found out by reading some more of this storyline of that osiris would come alive enough to come up in his form and teach horus how to use weapons so he could then go right. kill um i that that and yeah and goes off and does that so he kind of goes back and forth from the the land of the dead sometimes up to the, the living, but not for a lot. And um, 
for purposes that are very personal, I'm sure, that they, they decided it was kind of a good way to move the storyline uh, forward, so to speak. But um, right. it, was, it was, you know, I found it very interesting because you get to see the different ways this, this story, which flows along, has little versions, you know, of, of different things about ISIS and the different aspects. But she's, and we, as we have done a show on ISIS, but she, the yes. whole process of Osiris and his worshiping and everything, they they kind of meld together with ISIS and eventually down into the centuries when, you know, eventually Christianity took over. ISIS actually took over all of what was originally the, the original, you know, Syrian mysteries and it became kind of put together as one because she became the more powerful of the two to survive right. all of the transitions as Isis, right. as that deity. Which Yeah, and Isis, the worship of Isis took over the world. Like you can find yes. there's evidence of Isis into the Middle East and all the way to London. Uh, there, you know, she, her worship went far and wide. She was a much beloved goddess. Right. So, um, yeah. But it all comes to the because honestly, and this is my theory. This is a theory. So it's sidebar to all this is that she stayed pristine to who she was and stayed that way. Osiris and between and I think we I briefly mentioned it before we started our show, but Osiris's myth and story and power and all began to morph with his son Horus, and they became mm-hmm. what was the basis for the mysteries of Christianity and Jesus and the Good Shepherd. And I thought it was interesting that, you know, Jesus, of course, goes off and does these travels and does all of this. And, of course, Osiris, mm-hmm. after he got everybody together, went off and did his travels and came right. back. And I was looking at this going, right. you know, you could really see how the energy got shifted when a different religious system was coming into effect and moving forward. So, yeah, um, yeah. So that would be what I would say. And then, um, what other things do we want to talk about? Of uh, you know, I mean, there's a, there's a lot. I mean, we can talk about his different. Oh, how he looks and what they what they consider. Yeah. You know, how they depict him. So. Maybe let's take a break and then we can dig into all of that. Oh, sounds good. Sounds good. Okay. Get that little pesky break out of the way. (laughs) I know. (laughs) All right. We'll be back in a minute. Literally. Silence League Hour with John St. Germain, Tuesdays 5 to 6, 
Blue Flag Root Radio with Lady Muse, Fridays, 4 to 5, and The Witch, the Priestess, and the Cauldron with Elvira Love and Phoenix Lefay, Fridays, 6 to 7. All time specific, add three hours for Eastern, sponsored by the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in Forestville, California, and online at luckymojo.com. Well, that was our minute of advertising. <laughs> yes. Commercial. <laughs> okay. So, um, he obviously said that he, you know, in his human form, he was very handsome and virile, and you know, I mean, mm. he obviously held that place. Um, but then, after he kind of changed positions in terms of where he was. How did he look? I mean, could you mm-hmm. do you want to throw that out on your side of the world because I know there's yeah yeah. So uh, he's he's the green skin god, um, and I think that can be confusing. I think for people like why green skin? What does that have to do with anything? Blah blah blah. But the the inundation, like the the inundation of the Nile, is what all cycles in Egyptian myth revolve around. The Nile mm-hmm. is the life force of that region, and every year it floods, uh, and it's green. And the, right. the silt that is left and the growth, the only way food grows in that region is because of the flooding of the Nile. So it was, it was a necessary force that had to happen every year in order for life to be sustained, and depending on the year, it could be very destructive and cause a lot of damage. So there's a whole other God that's connected to the Nile that we won't get into today. Uh, But that is why the green skin, that that is a representation of of life, of afterlife, of growth, of, um, um, oh, the word is escaping me, but um, of fertility. That's the word fertility (laughs) so um, even though he is the god of the underworld he is the god of fertility Uh, most male deity have a pharaoh's beard in their iconography when you see images of them so having that very classic thin long pointed beard he has that Uh, his legs are often wrapped like a mummy which makes sense because you know underworld right that's not surprising um, he often ha- is seen with a crook, like a shepherd's crook and a flail, uh, which are things that you see in many ceremonial and traditional witchcraft systems using these tools. Uh, so that's something that has definitely been co-opted by modern magical practitioners. And all of the things that you see in Egyptian iconography with things that are being held or the shape of the crown or what's in the crown, all of it has symbolism. It all means something. Nothing is just for looks. Everything means something. Um, I'm trying to find my other notes about some of what he looks like. But I I lost my page. Oh, dear. I have a feeling. There we go. Well, I know that he's usually shown, you know, he can be shown, shown seated on a throne, uh, sometimes surrounded by water with a lotus growing up, you know, meaning he is, he, even though, because the water is the Nile, and of course that is the, the, the ever-present uh, process of shifting, 
Sometimes he actually has a, a serpent-like form, and um, because of what he with his and it's kind of they said with his head, his toes touching his head, which I was really mm. kind of to kind of visualize that in my mind's eye. But that's because of he's the Lord of the Dead, so you know he kind of gets the right. serpent thing, and um, of course the the judging of souls, you know, weighing of the heart, and and all of that is very much part of his his thing that he does. Um, I think you know you pretty well described his what he is pictured as. Um, mm-hmm. He does have um, a connection with. The okay now I'm going to try and the bull of okay Inufus and the ram of Menzies and the Benno bird, which of course is mm-hmm. um, which obviously makes sense with you know like death and rebirth and coming up from the ashes right and obviously the crook and the flail are part of its symbols but mm-hmm. also the the dinge, the the pillar or the, mm-hmm. the pet. And that's something that represents that's the uh, tree trunk and his stability, bringing stability to his people and to the to the land. So I know those are things yeah. that are part of his, you know, what you would see around the the circumstances. Um, yeah. You know, for how he looks and what what kind of gets put next to him, kind of a thing. So one um, of the things I find really interesting about Egyptian imagery is the crowns that the gods wear, because mm-hmm. usually it's related to upper Egypt or lower Egypt. And then occasionally you'll see a deity that has both of the crowns of upper and lower Egypt. And most often Osiris is seen wearing the Atef crown, which is the white crown of upper Egypt. And it's kind of like a white, I don't know, it's almost like a Christmas hat. If you know, if you took a, Santa hat and you stood it on end so that it was yeah. sort of like going into a bit of a pyramid shape with a ball at the end. If that was all white, that's kind of what the upper Egyptian crown <laughs> looks like. Um, and I just had deja vu, so that's really weird. Uh, anyway, but he's usually seen with that crown, which is interesting. Why? I don't, I don't have an answer for that, but clearly there's a deeper relationship in Upper Egypt, right? So it's interesting. And ostrich feathers are, offer, are also seen with him frequently. Ah. And um, ostrich feathers are what's used to weigh your heart, right? An ostrich feather is on one side of the scale and your heart is on the other side of the scale. Your heart must be lighter in, than a feather in order to be admitted into the other world. Uh, or the underworld, sorry. <laughs> well, it could be the other world as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, well, and uh, this is where, you know, because, of course, the Osirian mysteries um, were set up as a as a, a time, a festival um, in which, you know, the, the um uh, there were festivals that, that celebrated Osiris, but then there were the mysteries, and this was more intense. But part of the mysteries, and this is something that came out in one of my myriad little pieces of research, is that his flesh was symbolically eaten in um, being put in a the form of a communal cake of wheat. That was part of, you know, eating his flesh. Does this sound familiar? Mm-hmm. Right. And um, he was always called. He was also called the Good Shepherd. 
which also sounds really right. familiar. So it it's it's it really has a very long history and is still with us to this day, whether we are working with the Egyptian pantheon and Osiris as a deity or not. And that's what I said mm-hmm. is to me fascinating about what this whole process, the myth, the, the deity actually did and how right. he, you know, he, he it morphed and became something alive again in another form. And I think, you know, in one of our shows, which will be airing while we're gone, about Zeus is the father god, you know, but more right. of the, the energy of a different type of god than this one. This was the, the, the son of the god kind of a thing. Um, mm-hmm. It's really neat. I'm, just like, it's, I'm really enjoying what the fact that we chose to add certain gods into our um, shows because they're actually, there's a profound understanding that, that I'm hoping we're sharing of where, we, where these things have gone. Not that we have to be part of that in its because we are who we are. We are pagans. We are witches. We are you know warlocks. We are those things. But it really just shows how things still are alive, no matter what form. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And for for many years, and I I wouldn't doubt if this was happening in some way, shape, or form, even into modern time, although it would be drastically different because of the change of religion in Egypt and the change of culture. But the celebrations to Osiris were, weren't really celebratory. They were usually, at least from writings, and, you know, we have to take that out with a grain of salt, they were rather serious and, and mournful. But it was often done when seeds were sown. So it was at the beginning of like the germination process and it was a it was supposed to represent Osiris rising from the dead um and there was a whole like play and ritual enactment and several days of ritual enactment before the seeds would go to be germinated of re- reenacting Osiris being murdered and being dismembered and this whole thing uh it became like a public drama at the temples where mm-hmm. finally Horus is defeated. I mean, Set is defeated by Horus. And I think yeah. that's fascinating because that's, you know, the Eleusinian mysteries from Greece with Demeter and Persephone and that whole cycle. Like, oh, what happened during those mysteries has mostly been lost. We don't really know. Uh, and I imagine that the reality of these mysteries is also most of it's been lost. We don't really know. Uh, but this celebration of the cycle in a way that's very serious and mournful and understanding in order for life to be sustained, in order for the crops to grow, something has to die and give way to make that happen. Um, mm-hmm. you know, it's really beautiful. It's something that we don't really, we don't do anymore on a, a big scale. Right, right. Well, it's interesting we were talking about the reenactments because they actually did reenact the battle between right. that and Horus, but it was that the priests and the priestesses were the ones that did the myth. And then the, the, the battle was taken up. People could join. The community could join and do, you know, the, the battle. But then it would then, obviously, it was um, 
taken into account, of course, that Set loses and, and then the you know, balance is restored and harmony. And there were called Osiris Gardens that were put into effect mm-hmm. that um, they basically planted. It was, um, I'm just trying to see Festivals and celebrated life and birth on the earth. And celebrants were, they, they planted, the celebrations was that they planted an Osiris Garden, which was a garden that had garden bed molded in the shape of the god and fertilized by the mud and the water of the Nile and grains would come from it, and it was um, the idea, again, of Osiris rising from the dead. But it was, it was also, they had them placed in tombs that were then known as Osiris's bed, as opposed to gardens, which I thought was kind right. of, you know, again. Which makes sense. That whole, like, garden, their structure, uh, you know, Osiris mm-hmm. brought law and, and order and, put away things that were considered savage, you know, using my air quotes again. Um, human sacrifice was not something that was done to Osiris because he said that that was savage and, you know, he brought agriculture. All of these more orderly, structured things, like, are part of what Osiris brought. Like, you could argue Osiris brought civilization. Right. And yeah. That is, that's part of the the uh, understanding and I guess I'm I'm sounding like a a, a, um, a repeat here, but if you think about the Old Testament, the New Testament, the old God of of you know vengeance and anger and the new God of love and everything, think about how Osiris was doing what he was doing as the Egyptian deity pantheon, not necessarily that. You know, the, the older gods were angry gods. It was just they were elemental. They were part of the, the basic formation. But he brought civilization. He was bringing that process of order and rule and, you know, that that harmony and life. So it, it kind of, you just look at that and you go, totally different religious structures, completely different backgrounds that, you know, people put it together from, but look at the similarities and what has happened, at least how it was started. Um, you know, and this was something that came way up into the Roman times, so obviously um, mm-hmm. strong, strong um, catalyst to stay that strong to go forward into the Roman time frame. Uh, you know, I don't think... Right. I don't know if he was actually absorbed into any particular deity um, because he was so strong. Yeah, there there are some stories of him spreading beyond Egypt and sort of being um, uh, there's there's other gods that because that's what the Greeks did and the Romans did. They're like, okay, well you, that god's kind of like this god, so we're just going to call it a combination name now. Um, uh-huh. And so Osiris Dionysus became a god that is, can be found in, in certain regions. Although for me, they feel so vastly different, but I guess there's a fertility vegetation aspect to both uh-huh. of them, but their, their, their underlying energy is so different to me. Right, right. Well, and of course, I think it's, it's also that we see Osiris as a fertility god, as a love god, as a, you know, um, god of uh, the uh, earth and vegetation and, and things. But he has taken so much more 
um, his 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 sense of being so much more of the death god in one sense because right now in in a lot of how people see it i mean i don't think they see or work as much with the um the fertility as much because we're not in the nile we aren't yeah. you know we're not we're not right. respected we don't need the nile to overflow to make it fertile for us to put crops down mm-hmm. right so uh yeah but uh you know and and i was uh, they have you know a an you know when they say an aspect of his fertility it's they have a um menet is a is a hieroglyph where it's a sacred uh, phallus shaped vessel pouring fluid into a wide uh, pot and it's an actual symbol of that sacred magic of sexuality and fertility that Osiris and Isis represented as a couple and how that moves forward in the uh, the rebirth process as well as the birth process of Horus so you know the sacred mm-hmm. uh, divine child so I was kind of like, oh, look at this, another thing we can talk about on a hieroglyph. <laughs> Not that people can see it, you have to say it, and then we kind of <laughs> it. Because we're on a radio, we're not on a telly or a, or a YouTube or any of that. Right. I don't know if I'd want it on YouTube. Um, <laughs> think about us doing YouTube now. Is that kind of Does that kind of make you like, oh, oh no, 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 no. Yeah, it feels like a lot more of a, a awareness of what my face is doing. <laughs> I know, I know. And at the time, you know, you'd have to be careful because you're drinking your tea. Right now you could drink your tea and exactly. no one's going to notice that you're drinking your tea, you know. So, I mean, there are certain things about the anonymity of radio that I actually do like. But, um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's it's, I mean, I went through, there was one book that I was looking at and, you know, I we use the internet so much, and yet I also have a lot of actual books. And so yeah. one of them is talking about the different. It has different categories that Osiris flew into and was listed. And I kid you not, it's in a, basically a ruled line page. It is about over half. It's two thirds of a page of handwritten what he was part of, what he was considered. Um, his his dominion, so to speak. It went from the A's to the, let's see, we wound up at the V's, vegetation. So, I mean, it was kind of like removing difficulties and um, solving problems and, you know, so many more things than I would have thought, you know, based on what right. my original knowledge was before I started doing this. So it it uh, it does, he does cover a lot of ground, so to speak. No pun intended. <laughs> mm-hmm. So is there anything else that we can think of that we can dazzle our listeners for the next five to six minutes? Oh, my God, I was totally just going to say something, and then it, like, flew away. And my, Oh, I know what it was. That's funny that I said flew away. It was about Horus. Ha-ha. <laughs> there you go. So, <laughs> so Horus <laughs> is often depicted as a falcon, as a bird. Right. Uh, as a hawk. Right, and the eye of Horus is a common thing. It's sometimes also referred to as the eye of Osiris, but it is the eye of Horus, uh, and that's that's imagery that if you've been dabbling in witchcraft or paganism for even ten minutes, you've probably stumbled across the symbol of the eye of Horus. 
But Horus definitely followed in his father's footsteps, where Osiris was a much beloved ruler who brought civilization and order. Horus did the same, and he continued that legacy, and he was much beloved. And there are some versions of the story where there's an elder Horus and a younger Horus, and the elder Horus is either Osiris's father or Osiris's brother, uh, and then the younger Horus obviously is Osiris's son. So you know, there's some there's some squishy, messy boundaries in there, but we do know that Horus lived up to the hype and became just as beloved as his father and did was appreciated as uh, a ruler just as much as, as his father. And again, remembering that these are gods, these potentially could have been real pharaohs, real leaders. We don't actually know. We can't possibly know. And I do say, I do believe that some gods started out as humans. I don't think that's true for all the gods. But I do think some gods were extraordinarily popular humans and did uh, amazing things in their time and, you know, were ahead of their time, like Osiris bringing agriculture and civilization to the people, right? It wouldn't surprise me if he was a, a ruler who was elevated to godlike status and became worshipped as a god and that that continued for thousands of years, um, there's something about that that feels right, and it is very much like Jesus and the and the the myth of Jesus. He was just a guy who was a spiritual seeker and and did a, a lot of things that uh, Osiris slash Horus uh, did as they were the rulers and and leading the spiritual health of people. Um, so I think it's interesting. Yeah, it it definitely. Um you feel it and and you feel the the energy of these deities and what you know Osiris especially and you know we as I say we've talked about we haven't talked about Horus but we have talked about Isis and um it's yeah there's just so much there that they 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 did and as you say I believe they that you know these were people that were as you say, ahead of their time, someone who came in and saw something so far advanced that they worked on it to get it manifested, and people look at them as gods or as goddesses, you know, and and, um, I find that interesting because most of us would have, think about it, this is a real human being, how would we feel about somebody that we actually were worshiping, that it was a real human being as opposed to some divine deity. I mean, I know we want that, but would we be really um, comfortable with that? Mm-hmm. But um, yeah. we'll never know because we aren't going to, you know, I'm sorry, we're not time traveling to, to find out anything about um, Isis and Osiris. And everything. Now, there was an interesting um, Rick Royden, who did uh, Perseus and whatever I can never remember? He he did um, the Olympians, Perseus and the Percy, uh, Percy and the Olympians, and it was a a modern version of of the, the demigods, the children of the the gods in our modern time. But there was a sidebar that he did, which was the trilogy of books, and I can't remember all of the, the names of them, but one of them was the Red Pyramid, and it was about the, the children that were demigods of the Egyptian pantheon and um, the different 
what happened, how they had to go through their, their things. And it was funny because Bost actually was a energy that came in as a as a woman, but she was Bost. And it was very it's a very cute story. It was designed, I think, for young adults kind of a thing. But I got a hold of it and I started reading these. And it's actually very, uh, it takes it into a different realm that you go, yeah, this could be something I could, I could deal with is to, you know, getting in touch with these deities and seeing them in that form. It's like, hi, you're my dad or you're my mom. But <laughs> entertainment, that's what it was. But it was fun and I enjoyed it. So I put a plug in for Rick, Rick Ryoden, which he's very prolific, actually. Um, right. I've heard a lot of good things, but I haven't uh, watched any of them. Yet. Or read, I mean, not watched. <laughs> well, some of them have of actually them. been made into into movies. Uh, the Perseus ones, the Perseus yeah. ones, um, a couple of them. So, uh, but, yeah, and the fact that they had, I think, Brooklyn, believe it or not, was for was the was the focus for um, the Egyptians, and then upstate New York, which I don't know why they wanted all of New York, but upstate New York was where the the Greek uh, stronghold of of demigods was. So I'm kind of like going, mm. why New York? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, California is so much nicer. <laughs> I know. God, they'd have a lot more fun out here anyway. But so, um leaving our 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 show on a on a lightheartedness as opposed to anything else, we will have a lot of pre-records yeah. in our apps that are wonderful and exciting and some of the um things that we have uh chosen as um like a uh, a redo is a rerun is for our llamas and for a couple of the different things that we've done. But we will be back in August, will we not? Yeah, well, there's a lot of new content, so don't think that Fridays you'll be without our sparkling personalities. We have lots of new shows coming out over the next few weeks, and then the first live show will be uh, in September, and that will be our Ask a Witch segment. So you can write us, go to witchpriestesscauldron.com and send in your questions. Or if you want us to read uh, cards on a situation you might be dealing with, we can do that too. Not all questions make it on the show. No, we're not going to tell you who's going to win the football match. Sorry, um, person who keeps <laughs> asking us those questions. Uh, but if, if there's a topic you're curious about, if you want to hear our ideas on something, if you want to get a reading, please do go to our website and send in your question, and we'll see if we can fit it on our next Ask a Witch, which will be the first Friday of September. Are you sure? No, no. Be sure. Are we the first Friday of September? Yeah. Okay. All right, because I'm not sure. I, I was looking at <laughs> going, is it the first Friday of September? Yes, it will be. It'll be September 6th. You're right. Yeah. Okay. So we're fine. <laughs> she's she's our scheduling uh, uh, goddess here because she she keeps up uh-huh. all the things. I'm kind of sometimes going. I think it's that. And she goes, no, it's not. So thank yeah, you for keeping right. us on track. <laughs> no worries. So, well, it's our time to say and, goodbye. And uh, yeah, I know it's it always goes by fast. Even when I think it's you know, know. I'm not sure I can handle all of this, the time is like. Am I going to be able to talk for any of this? Do I know what I'm saying? <laughs> we always have more we could say. 
<laughs> I know, really, we really do. So, but um, for you, if you know, I don't see you. You have a wonderful time on your vacation, and you're yes, you too, London. And I will, I will be with um, humidity and all those wonderful things that you, you get down. And grandchildren, and, yay! And my grandchildren. That's the that's it. My daughter yeah. too. I mean, she's not an also. She is a and important, but. Um, my actual my grand granddaughter said I miss Nona, and so she wanted to talk to me. So they got got me Weak. on FaceTime, and unfortunately, she didn't talk to me. She she played with the filters, but I don't care. I know that that's that's part of her her connection. Is I am the lady. I'm I'm Nona. You can play with the filters, and I laugh and giggle at what she looks like. So that's great. That's cute. Nice. Yes. So, we'll have an amazing trip. Thank you so much. Be all of us be safe while yep. we are gone, and we will be safe, and we will see you back on the radio uh, live and in person September 6th. Yep. Have a good summer. Have a good summer. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Witch, The Priestess, and The Cauldron, a radio podcast on the LMC Radio Network. Our podcast airs live every Friday at 6 p.m. Pacific and will be available for download. Questions or comments on this show or ideas for upcoming shows can be sent to our website, and that's at www.witchpriestesscauldron.com. Again, that's witchpriestesscauldron.com. On behalf of Elvira, Phoenix, Alan, and myself, Gwion Raven, a big merry meet and merry part and merry meet again. Blessed be.